Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Passion this morning. We're delighted that you're here. Uh, we'll be giving you some instructions if you're visiting with us for the first time or maybe the second time here in just a little while. But it's a really special day here at Passion. You see some glowing green shirts. Wonder what in the world. Our soccer team is with us this morning. Yeah, they just finished their first season. So this is a really special day for us and for them. And we're going to treat them like rock stars here in a little while. But uh, before we do that, we started a series last week called Joyride. So watch this. This will help you to understand where we're headed. videos crack me up y'all don't know how much editing goes into some of these videos because uh, yeah well never mind uh, li life is this uh, series of up and downs uh, life tends to be this in and out cycle of up downs and and, and turns and cliff-like drops that we weren't weren't really expecting and and I, and I told you last week our life often seems like one, not a kitty ride. Y'all know there's a difference between kitty rides and rides like that, right? Life is not like a kitty ride. Life is like one of those white knuckle, hold on for dear life, lose your lunch, scream at the top of my lungs, death ride. That's what life often feels like. At least my life does sometimes. And, and I told you last week that uh, into that kind of scenario, into that kind of existence, Jesus walks on the scene. And Jesus makes what I believe next to salvation, uh, and we'll talk more about that in a second, because salvation is the greatest gift we've ever received from the Lord. But next to salvation, one of the greatest gifts, perhaps the next greatest gift that Jesus ever gives us, he tells us about in John chapter 15, verse 11. I read it to you last week. It says this, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. 
And so Jesus walks into this joyride, into this chaotic up, down, in, out, cliff-like drops, and he says, I'm promising you that if you can live up to the prerequisites that we'll talk about in just a moment uh, as a recap, then at that moment you will have fullness of joy. It's a great promise. Now, I told you that it's important to backtrack because in John 15 chapter 11 or John chapter 15 verse 11 he says after I've told you these things in order that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be made full so we had to backtrack we had to talk about what has he told us and so we read John chapter 15 verses 1 through 10 I'm not going to do that you should have done that last week on your own but he says to you and to us and to me that there are prerequisites that we must meet so that our joy must be full so as a way of reminder I remind Mind you that in those passages of scripture Jesus says that your joy will be full when you learn to accept and embrace and appreciate pruning we talked about that the, the father's the vine uh, dresser he'll come in and he, he crops things off he, he lops things off out of our life he cuts things out of our life because he recognized that that there are things in our lives that if we're not careful they keep our joy from being full so Jesus is telling us that if you want your joy to be full, you've got to allow him to cut some stuff off. That means some of you have been fighting God about people in your life that he's been trying to get rid of for decades and you keep holding on to them. Therefore, your joy never reaches full level because he tried to get rid of them and you keep calling you keep Facebooking them, you keep emailing them, and you wonder why your joy's not full. He's been trying to cut certain things out of your life, certain habits out of your life for decades because he knows if he can cut those things off, you'll have fullness of joy. But not only there, he said, not only that, he says that even during the good seasons, when everything is going right, when you're producing a lot of fruit, when everything is perfect in your life, he says, even in those moments, the Father will come along and prune you. And if you can learn to accept that pruning, you've got to recognize that God does that because he loves us. And he recognizes that if he cuts that stuff off, it will allow us to grow in our joy. Anybody here this morning? Anybody experienced the pruning grace of God before? Painful but necessary. Yeah, yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So if you don't, just hang on because he will prune you. The second thing he says is that not only must you embrace pruning, but he says you will have fullness of joy when you become rooted in the Father. You're, you're, he's, the, he's the vine, we are the branches. We root into the Father. And then I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't leave us guessing. He literally tells, tells us how to know whether we're rooted in Jesus or not. We're going to see if you did your homework this week. Because what he says is he says you'll know you're rooted in the Father when his words are at home in you. In other words, I said it like this, your level of joy is directly proportional to the level of the word in your life. How much of the word has made a home in you? I said it like this, no word equals no joy. Little word equals little joy. Much word leads to much joy. You cannot rely just on the level of word that you get in here on Sunday morning. you got to get into the word for yourself and allow God's word to set up a residence in you. And when the word establishes a place, a home in you, it produces joy. Because a wordless life cannot help but become a joyless life. I hope you've been rooted in his word this week then he goes on and he says uh, not only must you become re rooted in his word and not only must the word make a home at home in you become a home in you he says Jesus says we are rooted when we become obedient to his commands uh, 
obedience is a key component to you having fullness of joy. I want you to understand this morning that my children, when they disobey, disobey me, don't have joy. I make sure of it. How many of you recognize that this morning? Then why do we think that when we're living a disobedient life that our Father would allow us to have fullness of joy? I told you it's almost comical to me that when people come to me and start talking about the distress of their life and the brokenness of their life and pray me out of this curse, Pastor, lay your hands on me, get me out of the trouble I'm in. When you trace it all back, you recognize that it's all birthed and rooted in disobedience and I can't pray you into a blessing that you walked into because of we become rooted in him when we obey and so this morning I want us to move further and I and I have a, a simple question for you this morning after hearing what Jesus has said Jesus says that he's come to allow his joy to remain in us and so that our joy may be full then my simple question to you this morning is, what's the big deal about joy? I, I, I mean, come on, Pastor. I mean, uh, preach to me about the important promises of Jesus. Like, like, like preach to me about Jesus' ability to save me. If you would preach about salvation, then I would get up and shout and do a little jig because that's an important promise. Talk to me, Pastor, about the healing uh, provision of Jesus and I'll shout you down. That's an important promise. Talk to me about abundant life. Talk to me about prosperity. Talk to me about inheritance. Talk to me about all that important stuff. But joy? You're telling me you want to talk about the completeness of jo- fullness of joy what is the big deal about promise see here's the deal when we talk about salvation when we talk about healing when we talk about abundant life when we talk about prosperity when we talk about all those other promises we we seem to respond with hunger and we seem to respond with anticipation and almost a longing and and then when we switch gears and begin to talk about joy what happens is is we almost pass by the significant blessing this this most significant blessing we almost deal with it with little fanfare we deal with it with little desire we deal with it with little understanding of the implications of this incredible gift I, I submit to you this morning that joy is underestimated I, I, I would say to you that we don't have a healthy appreciation for what Jesus is promising us when Jesus stated that we could have fullness of joy, Jesus was in fact revealing to us at that moment that he has for us a PED. Anybody know what a PED? At least in today's society, most of you are watching the scandal on baseball right now and you go, PED, performance enhancing drug. You're telling me that Jesus is a drug pusher. No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't don't get, put your phone up. Quit tweeting right now and quit Facebook and telling everybody the pastor said Jesus was a drug pusher. That's not no Jesus at the moment that he says our full our joy can be full. He be, he is revealing to us there is a performance enhancing deposit for us. And what I want to do this morning is just quickly I want to talk to you about a statement in the Old Testament that you know. And I want to try to, uh, uh, to, to span into the New Testament and read one statement about Jesus and, and see if the revelation about Jesus can tie us back to this important statement in the Old Testament. As a way of background, let me tell you that this Old Testament statement, which you will recognize rapidly, took place in this backdrop. 
the children of Israel have been in bondage for 70 years. The, the, the wall of the city of Jerusalem had been torn down. And now, under the leadership of Nehemiah, they have gone back and they begin to reconstruct the wall around Jerusalem. And now they're about to take on the task of rebuilding the ruins of the temple. And they call for Ezra. And they ask Ezra to stand up and read to them in in front of God and everybody the law. Y'all quit complaining about 45-minute preaching because you need to go read Nehemiah and recognize that for hours, for hours, hours, like not one hour, hours, plural, Ezra stands up and reads the word in front of 40-something thousand people and they stand and sit there for hours and listen to the word. And then what happens is after he finishes reading the scriptures and the Bible says they fall on their faces and they repent and after that response Ezra makes a statement that has become one of the most quoted statements about joy in the entirety of scripture you'll know it as soon as I read it listen to what it says Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 this being Ezra he continued go home and prepare a feast holiday food and drink and share it with those who don't have anything this day is holy to God don't feel bad. Here it is. Here it is. This is the one you got in your, on your wall in your kitchen. This is the one you hung on your door 15 years ago. This is the one you memorized in, in Bible classes. This is it. Here it is. Are you ready? The joy of the Lord is your strength. That, that's probably the most quoted passage of Scripture about joy in the entirety of Scripture right there. Ezra has this revelation. There it is in black and white. He, he lays it out for all of us, the importance of joy. Ezra got it. He understood that joy is this performance-enhancing deposit that's down on the inside of our soul. And so out of that, what he's literally saying is this. Catch this this morning. Our strength level is determined by our joy level. That's why when you're at your weakest, uh, when, 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 you, when we, we say to you, don't make decisions when you're dis, you're you're distressed don't make decisions when you're down in the dumps don't make decisions when you're depressed because your your level is down your strength level is down your strength level coincides with your joy level and you can overcome stuff when you got joy when other times when you don't have joy don't seem to have any joy it destroys you am i right ever experienced that ezra had that revelation he he says listen the joy of the lord is your strength. The people were distressed. The people were downcast. The people were overcome by the task that was in front of them. They weren't sure they could pull it out. And he stands up and out of a revelation, he says, look, the, the, the strength that is in you is based on the joy of the Lord that is in you. Now, let me try to tie that. Because, see, I think what happens is we hear that, we quote that, we put it on our walls, we nod in agreement. Well, amen that statement, but we don't understand that statement. We don't live up to that statement. We don't tap into what's going on there. So what I want to do is I want to fast forward into the New Testament and grab hold of a passage of Scripture that, that talks about Jesus and see if we can maybe come to a realization this morning what we're dealing with when we deal with joy. Okay, let, me, let me see if I can help you. It's in Hebrews chapter 12. We love Hebrews chapter 12. If you've been in church more than like two seconds, you've probably heard Hebrews chapter 12 referenced. We love verses 1 and 2. We just don't read the last part of verse 2. And so we read it like this, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And we stop right there. And we miss this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Y'all missed it. Let me read that to you again. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you see it? It's right there in verse 2. Listen to it. I'll say it like, Jesus endured the cross and the shame associated with it because of joy. Y'all didn't get it. Jesus endured the cross and the shame associated with it because of joy. I learned from Pastor Ulmer at General Conference. I'm going to say it one more time. Third time's a charm. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. He repeated himself like nine million times, and it apparently worked, so I'm going to repeat it one more time just so you get it. Jesus endured the cross and the shame associated with it because of joy. Now, stop and think about that statement for just a moment. Jesus endured the cross. Stop. The cross. Y'all still don't get this. See, what we've done is we've cleaned up and we've sanitized the process of crucifixion. We want this bloodless, painless crucifixion. In fact, we want it so clean that when somebody comes along and tries to literally portray what took place during crucifixion, we grow squeamish and we want to change the channel. So when somebody like Mel Gibson comes along and puts out the Passion of the Christ, it's a little too gory for us and we don't want it to look real newsflash he didn't even come close we we have failed to understand the brutality and the gruesome inhumanity of death by cross and yet the bible says in hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that jesus endured the cross and the shame associated with it because of joy that means The tearing of flesh. That means the muscle spasms. The the, the literal need to push up on a spike that is protruding out of your feet in order to be able to to exhale and get rid of the carbon dioxide that's building up in your body. To push against that. He, He endured all of that. The cross. He endured the inability to touch your own wounds. You think about it. What happens first? You smash your finger with a, a hammer. What's the first thing that happens? Jesus had no ability to touch his own wounds. It means he had exposure to the blistering sun. It means the insects that were attracted to the stench, he could do nothing about them. That means the blood that was running down his brow, he couldn't wipe it away. That means the sweat that was coming down his forehead and getting to his eyes, he could do nothing. That means the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. That means when his muscles were cramping and and his body was overtaken with this deep, relentless, throbbing pain, he could do nothing. It's the cross. That means when the lacerated tissues of his back were rubbing up against that hard, rough wooden beam, pushing up and then going back down and pushing up and going back down. He endured the 
cross. Well, if that's not enough, this is all played out in public. It's one thing to die in the privacy of your own company, but now all of a sudden you're out here for God and everybody to see. It means it's like a sideshow. It's like a circus around him. That means he's the laughingstock. That means people are ridiculing him. They assume that he's guilty. They spit on him. They, they talk smack to him. His parents and siblings and friends watch helplessly as their loved one faces certain and slow death. Crucifixion, the cross. And then on top of all that, it's, it's one thing for a common criminal, a thief, to, to, to die this miserable death, this inhumane brutality. That's one thing. But Jesus hangs on the cross and, in, and experiences the throbbing pain and the sweat and the, and the insects and the birds and all of that. He, he, he experiences the shame and the ridicule. And on top of all of that, if that's not enough, Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus was the Son of God. And now with the weight of all that physical pain and all that emotional pain, now you heap on that, that now in this moment, he takes the weight of the entire world's sin on his shoulders. And for the first time in eternity, y'all missed that, in the, for the first time in eternity, Jesus experienced separation from his Father. It was the cross. So my question this morning is, is simply this. How does a man endure the pain and the agony of what may be the most hideous device of man to kill another man? How does Jesus endure all that? How does he endure the shame? How does he endure the pain? How does he endure the separation? Was it his willpower? It's got to be his willpower. He just got more willpower than I've got. This one's going to seem a, a, an odd question. What was it? Was it the Holy Spirit? Was it the angels? Oh, it, it had to be the glow of a powerful worship service. The, the reason he was able to endure all that was because he remembered the great fellowship he had had with his disciples around the Last Supper, and it so moved him that. No. Jesus was able to endure the cross and the shame associated with it because of joy. There, 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 there's a statement that I need to get into your spirit this morning. If you don't get anything else, if you think everything else I'm saying is ridiculous, I want you to hear this statement because this statement is true. This statement will change your life. This statement will change your ability to endure. This statement will empower. Listen to what it, listen. If Jesus' joy enabled him to face death, then surely his joy in you can empower you to face life. If the joy of the Lord could empower him to hang on a cross and die that kind of death and refused to come down and he could have come down. 
if it was the joy of the Lord that empowered him to face that kind of death, then surely, surely the joy of the Lord that resides in you now can empower you to face what you're facing and endure. I just came to tell you this morning that if you know the Lord of joy, then at that same time you have at your very disposal the joy of the Lord. We underestimate the strength that is within us. We underestimate the joy that enabled Christ to hang on the cross until death. It is the same joy that if you know Jesus, if you've ever bowed your knee to Jesus at the moment that salvation came into your heart, at that same moment a PED entered your heart, a performance-enhancing deposit that allows you to have the strength to face what you're facing. We just don't tap into it. We underestimate it. We lose it and give it up without a fight and think nothing of it. See, Jesus' comprehension and reality of joy enabled him to endure what may be the most brutal method of punishment ever devised. Our lack of or, or appreciation or use of joy means that when somebody looks at me wrong on Sunday morning, I am going to be unable to say anything nice for at least a month. That means when I go through the drive-thru and they mess up my order this afternoon, which they always do, then because of that, I will not be able to treat my wife right or my kids right or my employer right for at least three weeks because they wrecked my whole life because they put onions on my hamburger when I didn't want hamburgers. And we fail to realize that deep down inside of us, there is a deposit of Jesus joy that ought to be able to allow us to overcome anything we face. See, our, our lack of appreciation causes us to be weak. Jesus' joy, joy empowered him to hang on nails. And yet we so underestimate our joy that a hangnail derails us for days. I'm preaching right now and y'all just looking at me. Uh, Jesus' joy was so strong that he could wordlessly take a beating and yet when something goes wrong in our life we so underestimate and so underutilize the joy of the Lord that when that when something goes wrong man we got to fight back and boy, we'll tell you how the cow ate the cabinet so West Oklahoma turned some of y'all don't have a clue what I just said we'll tell people where to get off and how quick to get off you just don't understand Steve my attitude's just bad it's just how I am because you don't have any joy. Uh, you don't understand my environment, Pastor. If my environment, your home life was great. My home life was terrible. If you knew my environment, then you would understand why I just can't deal with people and I just can't. We underestimate the joy of the Lord. Well, 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 scowling faces, I got this angry boss. If my boss was nice to me, if he would treat me with respect, then I could, I could overcome, then I could endure. 